this is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're juggling homeschooling with little ones in episode number 110. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am glad that you are here with me today. I am going to talk about homeschooling again today. Like I shared last week, I was really floored by the response that I got to the homeschooling podcast that I did a few weeks ago, and I got lots of requests for more. So I thought that we would cover some of those topics in the coming weeks. We will talk about some homeschooling stuff this week. Um, we'll probably talk about something else for the next couple of weeks, but then we'll, we'll dip back in here and there. I want to be sensitive to what everybody wants, but some of the questions that I got were so great, and I decided on today's podcast we would cover a couple of different questions. Now, I haven't written anything on homeschooling for naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I'm not sure if I'm going to. It still feels a little bit outside of, you know, the natural birth pregnancy baby niche, um, even though we do end up talking a lot about toddlers. So maybe we'll grow to that point. But I certainly love talking about homeschooling, being a homeschooling mom. And I, I have to be honest, it is still one of the things that gives me a great deal of satisfaction. I love planning our homeschool days. Um, and I love I love teaching my kids. I love those times of being with them. Sometimes following up on school assignments, I don't love so much. But I really actually do love homeschool planning. I know a lot of moms are like, no, I don't want to do that. But to me, it's exciting. And I think the reason it's exciting is because there are so many possibilities wrapped up in it. Maybe almost like when you're expecting a baby and you have all those possibilities wrapped up in there. So homeschool planning is like that for me. But a lot of times when you're in the middle of it, it can feel really overwhelming and you have all these nice, neat set out plans and they're not working and you have to reassess. And I think I think that that's part of life as a homeschooling mom. I also think that at some point we have to get to where something works. So we have to stop and evaluate if nothing's working, if nothing's getting done we have to evaluate. And that might mean for me, that has usually meant if we've gotten to that place that I kind of stop and I say, these are the priorities. Usually math is a priority. And probably one of the reasons for that is because it's pretty straightforward. And another reason is that Scott is actually our math teacher. And so it helps not to be the only one doing that. But um, so we do math and then, you know, I pull in what I think is really critical bit by bit and we kind of ramp up. And get to where we want to be with everything over time. But I do try and make sure that some things are getting done. I feel like it's important to have some sort of record keeping going on in case one is held accountable, which depends on your jurisdiction. Um, but I don't I don't want to get too far off track. But basically, I want to say there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of overwhelm. But I think that ultimately we want homeschooling to work and we want to find a way for it to work. And that's what a couple of the questions, the two questions that I picked to discuss on today's podcast are, I feel related. Um, And also they're talking about how do we make homeschooling work? So one question was, how has homeschooling looked for you with a new baby and with multiple ages and stages? 
And then also, how do you balance homeschooling if you need to work? And the reason why I said those were related is because both of them are requiring substantial amounts of time from the homeschool teacher, the parent, for something other than the schooling. And I'm not going to talk about balancing curriculum with different ages and stages today. I'm going to talk about that on another podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about more managing day-to-day life and making sure that homeschooling happens when you've got those different ages, when you've got work, when you've got ages and work, which is kind of the place that I'm in right now, and how might that look or what are some considerations and suggestions for that. So I have always homeschooled with a baby or a young toddler in tow because when Cassidy started kindergarten, we had um, Asher and Brennan, who were younger. Brennan, who was still, you know, he was a toddler. So, but he wasn't a newborn. But then shortly after Cassidy started first grade, yes, first grade, we had newborn Galen. So I did have a newborn then. And ever since then, you know, we've had a toddler or a newborn. There was a little bit of a gap between Galen and Honor. And then there was Honor, and Corwin came very quickly thereafter, and then Sadie. And Sadie was a couple years after Corwin. So still, we're talking young toddlers and newborns, so that's just really been my reality. So let's talk some about about balancing everybody's needs and some suggestions for that. And then I will also talk specifically some about newborns and, and preparing for a new baby. And then we'll talk some about homeschooling and working because I think that some of what we talk about will help. But there are some specific things to think about too. So how do we balance baby and everybody else? Or how do we balance a whole house full of young children with a child who needs to be homeschooled? Now I know that some of you are are possibly in a situation where you have older kids who are needing to be homeschooled. So I'm talking about upper elementary, middle school, possibly even high school. And then you have a young baby too. And we can come back. Actually, let me just add that to my notes. We'll come back and talk about some ideas for that specifically. Um, I'm just, give me a second to write that. Okay, but then I really want to talk about what is probably the reality for most people listening to this who are still in baby having years is that your kids that you're homeschooling are probably lower elementary, or even preschool age. So you're dealing with younger children. So let's talk about some ideas for them first. Then we'll talk specifically about life with the newborn. And I'll come back and touch on some ideas for older kids too. But one thing to remember with young children, and when I say young children, um, I'm really meaning from, from babyhood up to the lower elementary grades. So kindergarten, first, second, probably third. Once you start moving into fourth, fifth, sixth grade, things are a little a little different. So the needs for those age children start to look different. But in early childhood, especially kindergarten and first grade, and then even into second and third grade, school doesn't need to look like what we picture school looking like, so to speak. And so I want I want you to hold that really if you need to consider that research into that look into that further definitely do that but I want you to hold that belief that sitting at a desk doing worksheets doesn't necessarily that's not what encompasses school now I do want you to feel free to do some worksheets with your child if you've got a gung-ho kid who wants to do worksheets sure and I mean like we do some worksheets Galen is in the second grade right now 
He's a little bit of a slow reader, so we're still doing a lot of phonics-based work with him, a lot of phonics worksheets, and he does his math, which is, you know, basically a worksheet. Um, but really, and he does, he does like some handwriting practice and things, which have some worksheets, and then we do some more free, freehand. But so he does have a little bit, but there's just really not a lot. And like for history and science and all of that, we just, we don't really have anything. I mean, we do some history and science with him, but there's not really written work. So it looks very different than what we can, what we picture like a classroom where we picture little kids diligently in desks or for a, a lower classroom. They're all sitting around the table. They have circle time with the teacher and then they sit around the table. And we do picture arts and crafts and things, I think, for those ages still, at least in most parts of the world. But we're still picturing a very formalized school environment. And again, I want to invite you to look past that and to hold the truth that that doesn't necessarily need to be what you have. So one of the things that I discussed at the at the very end of the last episode that I did on homeschooling was this this thought of training, for lack of a better word, but training a child's attention span for intense work. Or the way that I put it there, and I got this out of a, out of a Montessori book, and I just really thought that it was lovely. And also Charlotte Mason philosophy talks some about this. But the way that the Montessori book described it was getting in that state of flow. And I love that because we think about that as something very positive. And so this is positive. This, whereas training and intense focused attention maybe sounds not positive. Um, whereas getting in the state of flow sounds very positive. So what we want to do is we don't want to coerce or force. And we're not talking about long periods of time. But we're teaching our children to be in that state of flow and that joy of learning and that um, and being enraptured and in what they're learning for intense, intense focus, but for short periods of time. And we do that by saying, okay, we're going to sit down and do this, whatever this activity is, but it's not going to take a long amount of time. So this math worksheet is not going to take an hour or an hour and a half. We're going to sit down and we're going to do it. And that's kind of what you want to work towards with your child. And it's not something that's harsh. You actually want to try and be pretty lighthearted about it. But what you are trying to do is not establish a habit of dawdling. And like I shared on the last podcast, this is something I didn't really know about with my older kids. And it's something that I wish I had known about. And so it's something that I'm really trying to work on. Now, one thing I did do right was teach them to listen to stories, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, But I didn't really, you know, teach this this state of flow, though I think, as I shared before, the homeschooling method that I chose to use, at least um, when Cassidy was like in third grade-ish, Asher was in first, maybe, maybe fourth and second, but anyways, I think it helped capture this essence, but anyways, so we, we do want those periods of flow, and I think that's important to have, but, but really your days are probably going to have a loose and rhythmic flow, to them. And I, I use flow in a different sense then. So just talking more about the flow of the day and not necessarily being in this hyper-focused sense. So young children, and again, when I say young children, I'm talking about lower elementary kids too. They can go through a day that follows a regular routine and that is very nourishing to them. And if you intentionally craft this regular routine, it allows a lot of opportunities for learning without ever doing anything really formal, quote-unquote. So, for example, if you guys, and I'll come back to each of these, but you guys get up, 
you have breakfast, you clean up, you help your little ones clean up, you probably have a baby on your hip or in the baby carrier, you've got a toddler who's with you all the time, and you're kind of gently guiding your first or second grader to help with cleanup, help bring things from the table. Maybe your toddler's helping with that too. You guys are washing up the dishes, and then it's time for a nature walk. So you go outside, you walk the sidewalk, or maybe you're more rural, and you can walk a trail, you can walk at the park, whatever it is, so you have this nature walk. Then you get back, and that nature walk, as in, in Waldorf education, it's called kind of an out-breath. So now you're ready to get back for an in-breath. You get in, everybody goes potty or whatever they need to do. Maybe you're going to sit down and nurse the baby, and it's time to read. And I really believe that reading is a super powerful thing. If you've never really sat down and read with your kids, it's something that you're going to have to work up to for sure. Um, So don't expect the world. Like if you have never taught your toddler to sit down and listen to a story, then don't expect that when you sit down to read the first chapter of a book that's on your first grader's reading list out loud to him, that your toddler is going to be able to sit still for that. So what I actually have done in that case is I will start with like a picture book. I actually have planned out um, books for my kids starting from like you know, like three-year-olds, and then four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, kind of. I have reading lists for them, and I've got preschool reading lists going up into kindergarten. So, and those are, these are books that my family loves, and I read, I read the same book for two weeks to the little ones. So, for instance, I'm looking, I've got some of them on the shelf right here. So, Andy and the Lion is one that is like honors level. I think that one was an, no, Andy and the Lion was a Corwin level one. So, Corwin's three years old. So we read Andy and the Lion for two weeks, every day, one time for two weeks. And then um, the one that we read for honor was When I Was Young in the Mountains. So those are just two books, and you can get book lists from all over the place. Um, I kind of picked books that I knew and loved and remembered from my childhood. I looked at the five in a row lists for some inspiration. Um, Ambleside Online is a good place to look for inspiration. So there, there are different lists of books. What I wouldn't do probably is go to a children's bookstore and pick books. And I'm actually really sad to say it, uh, but I probably also wouldn't just go to the library unless you know that your library has a lot of old classic children's books because some of the garbage that's in the children's section of the library today is, is frankly very shocking. Um, but... You know, you can look at book lists from places that have quality children's literature listed. Again, the five-in-a-row book lists are really good to look at. There's been a couple books on the five-in-a-row book list that I just didn't enjoy, but most of them I've really loved with my kids. And sometimes there's not like a dry eye. I can't finish the book without, you know, crying because it's just, you know that a book is good when it stirs you like that. But basically, I would start with one of those books that's really um, a much shorter book and read that to your toddler and then just keep, you know, keep bringing your toddler or your preschooler over if they get up or put them in your lap. Um, Build up to it until they can sit through that book. And then I would make accommodations. You guys are in a child safe area where they they can't get out of the child safe area. I am a fan of baby gates and to a certain extent I've used playpens too when we're doing homeschool. So I'm not, and I'm not talking about in a playpen for a long time. There's actually a podcast I did on teaching your toddler to have an alone time. And that's the kind of use of a playpen that I'm talking about. So, um, 
you know, just they're in there for a half an hour kind of thing. And that might be the time when you do something that's more intensive like phonics because you know that your toddler is safe in the playpen or safe in a baby-gated, baby-proof room, that sort of thing. But anyways, um, so you have made accommodations for them to be safe so they can either be wandering and playing and then you and the older child are scooped up on the couch together, maybe your nursing baby, and you read a chapter from their chapter book for your first grader or your second grader. I feel like read-alouds are a very good tool for helping to establish something that looks a little homeschooly into your day and also for helping start to master that state of flow for your child. And this is what I did with my little ones, not even having any concept of that, or I guess they're my big ones now, but they were little then, was I just, I read to them so much, and also I told them stories. Um, in Waldorf schools, they, the teachers tell stories. They don't read from books, and so I was trying to be kind of Waldorfy, and so I would work on memorizing stories and then telling them back to them orally, maybe not word for word, but the gist of the story. I did that a lot. I'll be honest, today I can't do that. So we just, we enjoy our read-alouds. I can tell stories from my own childhood, which is definitely something children enjoy. And that's something that I think is good too, to cultivate. That's actually something I've been meaning to do is sit down and just like list out different anecdotes and stories from my own life. So that if my kids say, oh, mama, tell us a story from when you were little, I could kind of pull those up because I've already thought through, well, what, what would I tell my kids if they ask this? So that's something you can consider. Um, and for really little ones, like really, really little ones, very simple stories are good. And these can be told because you can just make them up as you go along. So you can tell a story of, uh, of a child is getting ready to go out in the winter. And so they pull on their socks and they pull on their long johns and then they put on their little long john shirt and then the child puts on her shirt and puts on her pants and then she pulls on her snow pants and then she puts on her boots and her mama helps her put on her gloves and then she goes outside in the snow and she pats some snowballs together and then she throws a snowball. She looks at the sun coming up bright over the snow and waves at it and smiles at the sparkles. Then she goes inside, and then, you know, you continue the story. She tell how she takes off the boots, how she puts them carefully on the boot tray. It's just a very simple story of what what is real. That's like a real thing that happened. Children love those stories. Or you can also tell little animal stories along those same lines. Again, children, little children, like little children, tend to be captivated by that. That's a good thing to start with. And, I mean, I just almost told you an entire story in, what, 30 or 45 seconds there. So it's a good way to start. So what, what you're doing with the reading um, is you're starting to learn to captivate attention. And one thing that you can hope for with your toddler or especially a preschooler is that as they get used to sitting and listening to you, it might be that they listen to older child's story too. And not necessarily because then you don't have to do that story when they get to that age, but more because, again, you're teaching them to be there. Um, I really think of it as you're teaching them to sit in awe listening to the story, which is a very good quality. That's something I learned when I was studying Waldorf when my older kids were young, and it's something that I still feel is good. And you could say that state of flow, but just that state of appreciation for a good story. And it's something that I feel like we are missing in our internet age, in our YouTube clip age, in our soundbite age, um, is just the ability to sit and be captivated by a good story. I mean, my older kids and I, we just finished The Hobbit, actually. And so we're reading Fellowship of the Ring out loud right now. And I just... 
I just love that they're captivated by the story, by the written word, and I, I'm the one who's reading it out loud. And I'm really just enjoying being able to read it out loud, being able to delve into that language. And I just, I enjoy the read-alouds. They take a lot out of me sometimes. A lot of what I do this day and age is with my voice, and some nights my throat is just tired. But I think it's very worth it. So anyways, that's one thing I think is great to do is just to read. So you went out, you had your nature walk, and then you read, 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 read throughout the day. It may not be continuous reading. It may be broken up like a chapter a day or a chapter every few days, and then maybe you read something else, like a picture book, a few picture books throughout the day. But especially with your toddlers and your preschoolers and your younger elementary schoolers, if you are reading out loud periodically throughout the day, they're learning and absorbing so much. And I, I feel like one of the most gratifying things about reading is when your child takes that and then they make that their own. So they go and they live the story out. They play that out in their play, which is something you'll see increasingly in the elementary school ages. It's And I actually, I think my younger children do it a fair amount too. Um, they play out things in their life and it's an it's in a recognizable sense. So like after we got back from the fair, there were a lot of fair things played out. I'm a goat or something like that is what my little ones would tell me. I'm a baby goat. So they played that out. But you'll see stories played out. So one really, really vivid thing that pretty much all of my kids, except maybe Cassidy, got into last year is we were reading about we were reading about the Vikings and um, Leif Erikson and the discovery of the Americas and everything. And my kids really, really got into playing that, getting out there, pretending they were Vikings. Um, and we continued like studying the beginnings of America. And they were you know, out there actually building these really impressive little model of a log home with uh, tiny oak saplings that Scott had wanted to clear out of a grove. And so it was just incredible to see that come through in their play, basically to see them living the lessons. And I suspect that you will be able to ask my boys about Leif Erikson even many years from now. And they will be able to tell you quite a lot about him because they really were interested in that. They lived into that. The books that we picked to read out loud about him were just captivating. And so there's so much that can be learned from books. And it's such a simple way. Uh, such a simple way to school. It does. It is intentional. you got to be intentional. But you can do it. Now let's, let's move on some because we've still got so much to touch on. But another thing that's really good is active math. Uh, So we do use math worksheets, but I also really feel that active math is good. So active math can take two forms. It can use manipulatives, which you're likely familiar with. So we have these little plastic bears, little counting bears, that we have used. Some people will use Legos. Lego math or Duplo math is very popular with a lot of people. Some sort of manipulative. I mean, you can even use acorns or marbles or something. Now, if you're using marbles or any type of small manipulative, you probably want to keep baby away. But those can be really, really helpful for helping a child get a tactile, real feeling sense of the math that they're doing. And also a cup of the manipulatives can help keep a toddler or a preschooler quite happy. This is a And really, even a baby, this is one of the things that I found really fascinating. We're doing the Montessori book study in Smart Mama Happy Baby right now. You can find out more about Smart Mama Happy Baby at Smart Mama, M-A-M-A, SmartMamaHappyBaby.com. But we're doing doing a, a chapter by chapter book study through a book on Montessori early childhood right now in the in the group. And 
one of the things that they're talking about is how our paranoia about small children swallowing things means that we're kind of denying them of the ability to practice the pincer grasp and that fine motor coordination. And so their recommendation is that you have the child able to practice some of that when you are right there. So when you are at the table working on math manipulatives with an older child is a good time to have a toddler or a preschooler, or like I said, even an older baby right there at the table with you, like with their own two cops, say, and the math manipulatives. And what what I've seen with my children, my toddlers and my older babies, is they will sit and carefully move from one cup to the other again and again and again. And that, again, is cultivating a state of flow in your younger child when they don't even realize it, but it's giving them that intensity and that purpose, that work to do, as Maria Montessori said it. And that's really a nice thing, and that can keep them occupied for a little while while you're doing some math. Another aspect of active math that you can do with your lower elementary schooler is like literally, and this is moving beyond fine motor to gross motor, but really getting the math living in them. And this is something that's great to do when you've got rambunctious toddlers or when you've got a young elementary schooler who is just tired of being in the house. They need that out-breath. Again, we go back to the in and the out-breath. Math is a great out-breath activity. You put baby on your back and you go outside and you march the yard while you call out addition tables. I'm trying not to clap, but you know you do. One plus one is two. Two plus two is four. Three plus three, or you could do it by table. One plus two is two. One plus three is four, you know, keep going like that up your table. Sorry, I'm trying to think of so many things at one time now I'm going to fail my addition tables. But anyways, so you, you know, you just do the clapping and you can do stomping with it. Some families who are comfortable with trampolines, they bounce it out. It's very active and just bringing those basic math facts into their mind in a powerful way. And in a way that's really, again, it gets it into their bodies. It becomes part of them. And that's really powerful. So that's something that works well when you've got lots of kids. Because, again, it's very active. It's very energetic. Your toddler can kind of be running around, maybe participating, maybe just running around. And it's just a nice break for everybody maybe to get outside. And there are lots of other active math ideas. For instance, uh, we used one with Galen with teaching him how to read an analog clock this year where I wrote big numbers like on big sheets of paper, like regular printer size paper, but I wrote the numbers so it filled the whole sheet, 1 through 12, and then we set out a clock on the floor, uh, you know, in the in the order of a clock in a big circle on the floor and then use that to help Galen start to get a grasp and like actually his whole body moving around the clock. You can find lots of ideas for that online. Your curriculum might have some ideas for that. There are just a lot of active math ideas and so math really lends itself to that out-breath activity and you might be doing some math worksheets too but you can always do that sort of thing. Math drills are something that can get kind of a Um, I think math drills are good. I believe that it is good to drill children to have them know that addition, those multiplication tables and things. I think that's very beneficial. Um, But I also think that drill time can be a fun and happy time. Uh, It can be a laughing time, a clapping time. uh, uh, If you've got kids who are old enough to kind of compete against each other, can be a fun kind of competitive time. My kids personally have trouble with that sort of competition, any sort of drill competition, we still do some of it because I feel like it's good for them to learn to be good sports. But I share that my own kids have kind of struggled with it so that you know 
that if your kids dissolve into tears because Johnny got it first or Susie got it first, that that's normal. And I think it's a time for you as mom to be lighthearted, to encourage the one who didn't get it, to calm down. You can try again. You'll get faster. Um, And then the one who did, don't gloat, be a good sport, help comfort them, that sort of thing. So I think that those are also good learning opportunities, but that's probably another topic. But so you're going to read a lot. Active math. I already mentioned nature walks. I think that nature walks are a really, really good idea. Again, it's more of an active thing, but it's also, it brings with it the opportunity for quiet observation. So there can be some active, especially at first. Y'all first get out. Everybody wants to run. Um, They want to bolt around. Or maybe you go out early in the morning. Everybody's kind of sluggish. So it's the opposite. And they wake up as you walk along. But it gives you the opportunity to tailor it to your family. But then you get to the point where probably somebody's going to notice something. And they're going to want to observe something more carefully. And even if you live in a city, there's often places where you can go, where you can find pockets of nature. Or I really believe that even if you're in a city and so you're going to end up walking shops, I hope that you're somewhere where it's safe to walk or that you can get somewhere safe to walk. But there's shops and especially if you are able to do the walk at a consistent time every day, you probably get to know the patterns of the other people in your neighborhood or get to see things about the area of nature that you're walking in. And you kind of get to know the life of the city or the neighborhood or the country trail. And that becomes something that helps your children feel a sense of community. There are times and things to watch and observe. Animals that, you know, for instance, you might spot a snake. That's something uh, at a particular point this year, we were seeing lots of blue racer snakes on our property. And so that was kind of fun. You know, you'd be able to stop and just watch and study the snake for a little bit. Caterpillars and things like that. Um, If you're in the city, maybe there's a repair going on at a pothole or something like that, and you stop and watch for a while. Occasionally, you'll get somebody grouchy, but usually people, um, they enjoy seeing children stopping and paying careful attention or even asking a few questions. I try and keep my kids from asking tons of questions of people, but like even when we have repairmen come to the house for something or like we had a fella come out. Um, from the phone company the other day and you know I like I let my kids observe them I don't keep my kids away unless the fellow is seeming really hostile because I feel like that's a good opportunity for them that's a learning opportunity for them so these nature walks are a good time to allow your child to, to watch to experience There are also times to observe the changing patterns of the weather, to look at natural phenomena. And you might not, you know, you're not going to detail it out in scientific terms, really, with a young child. But you heighten their powers of of observation. You heighten their ability to be respectful um, and to look at nature and creation with a sense of awe and also with a sense of curiosity. So really, a lot of what you're doing in these early years is you're really fostering qualities that you want them to carry forward into their entire life. And I believe that active math, a lot of reading, nature walks, those set a really great foundation. Um, You're probably going to have traditions, national holidays, religious holidays that make up the rhythm of the year. 
Those are very good ways to bring your child in to start talking about history. Um, also, I think the reading can really bring in a lot of history. That's something that I didn't realize until not too long ago. It Because, you know, I kind of thought history is all names and dates and timelines and really boring stuff. And the history curriculum we're using now, which is TruthQuest history, it is from a Christian perspective, but it... It, it teaches history through what are called living books. So books that are more in a narrative format and just are really compelling to read. You know, you want to keep reading these things and you want to read them out loud to your kids and they're exciting and they make history come alive, literally come alive uh, for your kids. And then they're, you know, they're living into the history. And of course, there's going to be periods that they're more and less interested in. Cassidy really got into ancient Greece. Um, she's not quite as into ancient Rome. I know Asher's chomping at the bit to get to the Middle Ages that sort of thing. So there's periods where where each person has greater and lesser interests, of course. But when you have a young child, just picking a variety of children's books that are written from like a living history perspective. Um, for instance, there's a book, I can't remember the author right now, and I don't have my Kindle right here with me, so I can't tell you who it, who it was, but Our Island Story is the name of the book. It's an older book. I think it was written in 1905. And it's just like a history of the British Isles. And it's, I mean, obviously we're not British, but it's just such an engaging book. My kids love hearing read-alouds from that book, and I love reading aloud from that book. And so, you know, it's a nice way to get a snapshot of that history. And you can find, you can find many books like that. Um, Ingrid, I think it's Ingrid Dodd-Lair. She writes a lot of books. I might be saying her last name wrong or not quite remembering it correctly. But they're illustrated books, so they're story, more storybooks. And they, they focus on, some of them are on like fables, folk tales, and some of them are on historical figures. Those are great books. So you can weave history in to your reading time and then also to what's going on. And maybe if you guys go visit any historical attractions that are child-appropriate, history gets woven in there. And then... Uh, a lot of science gets woven into your day-to-day nature walks. So again, you're not teaching the subject specifically, but it's coming in through your day. And this is really nice because it kind of accommodates the whole family. Now you're probably going to get to a point where you want to do things more formally, for sure. Um, And I've given some tips with that, like with the math, with teaching your toddler to have an alone time. But I really think in the early elementary years, just being outside and playing, reading stories, helping around the house, just existing as part of the family and being encouraged to be bright, to be curious, to be part of their world goes a long way towards teaching a child without ever having to have really a formal environment. So when you're trying to balance young children in lower elementary grades, I really think that holistic life is about learning, life is about enjoying, and you're going to intentionally plan that some of this is going to happen. The nature walks are going to happen. I'm going to encourage that quiet observation of the caterpillar. I'm going to purposefully pick stories that are quality stories. I'm not just going to go get you know garbage um, out of the children's bookstore. And again, I apologize, ladies, but I really do think that's what most modern children's books are, is garbage. So you're going to intentionally go back to more of the golden age of children's literature and pick things that are nourishing to our children, just like we don't feed them junk food, don't feed them junk books. Um, so, you know, pick things that are nourishing. But again, it's much more of an organic flow to life and a rhythm 
to the day, which makes it easy to fit in nursing babies and bouncing babies and putting babies on your back in a backpack carrier or even popping them in the stroller and taking everybody for a walk. And it's just part of the day. Okay, let me keep, I might actually have to have to put the working and schooling in a different episode because we're already at a half an hour and I haven't talked about newborns or older kids yet. So maybe I will have to wait on that part. But Okay, so let's talk specifically about when you have a newborn, because I think especially that period with a newborn is a different period. So one thing is that if I know that we have a new baby coming, I plan that we're going to take time off of school, like usually a month or so. Now I do try and plan, for instance, for our kids, they will usually continue doing math during that time. Because again, Scott will facilitate math. And even when Scott was working outside the home, um, he, he was, he still took two weeks off for every baby. So he was able to kind of help move math stuff along. Um, and I will try and plan like at least some sort of routine to be going on. Maybe not so much during the first week after baby comes, but especially beyond that, even if it's just a lot of reading because children become dissatisfied grouchy, bored, etc, etc. Now if it's summertime and you can send them outside every day, well maybe I would do that. Seriously. But um but otherwise you might want to have some tricks up your sleeve, not necessarily schooling, but something that you're going to, you know, plan to do to keep them occupied. But I do take time off. So what I've done is let's see, when we were expecting Galen, he came in October. And only I only really had Cassidy doing school at that point. So I planned to take a couple of weeks off. And then we kind of just jumped back into it with her and just let her have kind of a couple week break. Now with Honor, she was due in May, which at that time was the end of the school year. Now we're, we're experimenting with a little bit more year-round schooling. Um, but we were following a pretty pretty standard school calendar at that point. So what I did was really just worked hard so that we were finished because she was due at the end of May. So we were finished with school by the time she came and then I had the summer. With Corwin and with Sadie, they were both born in January. So one of the things that I did was I started school really early um, because I knew that I was pregnant with both of them. And so we started school early in the year so that we could take that extended time off after they came and then ease back into it gradually so or maybe not so gradually but gradually over the first few days when we were jumping back into school just to see what was going on with them so I've found that having a newborn um, and doing school can be relatively straightforward sometimes the baby's going to get cranky and you're going to have to stand and bounce the baby while you're going over things with an older one Um, Sometimes the baby's going to end up sleeping in arms quite a bit, but usually you can do school. What can be more challenging with a baby is trying to balance the needs of a newborn and trying to keep up with a toddler and trying to keep up with the child who needs to do school. So in that case, I would say there might be a little bit more planning for the toddler In in that newborn period. So you may work during pregnancy, again, teaching your toddler to have that alone time so you know, okay, that's a half an hour that's covered. So I can bounce the baby during that half an hour. Toddler's having an alone time. And that's when I'll do the most intense schooling with my child, like going over it, over that. If you've got older, older kids, this is something that I've used quite a bit. Is 
So the toddler has an alone time, and then they have a half an hour time when they're playing with an older sibling in a, a toddler safe space. So the older sibling is keeping them occupied. And they could, if you've got enough older kids, they could be swapped from one older kid to another. Um, so they may have a, they may have time with Cassidy and then an alone time and then a time with Asher and then a playtime with Brennan. And so that's gainfully occupied them for two hours and I think it's also good for the older sibling so that's an idea if you've got an older child now if you're if the dynamics are not going to work like there's been times when I haven't had an alone time with younger ones with a particular one of my older kids who is just not as good uh, at being nice sometimes to younger siblings so that could be an issue for you so then you just you plan proactively for the toddler and I think too it's okay if for a season, especially in the early weeks with a newborn, maybe they do watch a video for a half an hour a morning. I have tried not to do video, or video is often our, it's a rainy day, they're going crazy, I have to get some work done. <laughs> video video can be kind of like a last resort, but I try not to do too much of it. If you've got a little bit of an older child, an audiobook I think would be a better option. Sometimes audiobooks aren't terribly engaging to toddlers, so... But with a preschooler, an audiobook might work. So that would be a time that you might consider, okay, well, they're going to do a half an hour alone time where they're playing with a toy. Then they might have a half an hour of screen time where they're able to watch a video or play with the tablet for half an hour. And there you have an hour. And if you've got any sort of lower elementary or even upper elementary kids, you have probably had a chance there to go over what you need to go over in school. And you can kind of bounce the newborn around while you're doing the school stuff with your child with your older child and you know that the toddler's occupied so there are different strategies but again I think that that toddlers can be the biggest problem really maybe not so much newborns now I do think that you need to make sure that you measure your energy and keep up with yourself and so if you and the toddler and the baby all need to take a nap in the afternoon then make a way for your older child to be comfortable. And this can be another good learning time. So the older child, the older elementary schoolers or something, this is a good time for them to listen to an audiobook. Or you just have a selection of books, maybe early readers if they're just beginning to read, or maybe just picture books and chapter books if they're on to chapter books. And you know, they know that this is their time to snuggle up in their special corner with their basket of books or their audiobook and listen, and mama and toddler and baby are going to sleep. A big key to this is going to be routine. And in the first couple weeks after your newborn is born, that's hard to do. But then I would start being intentional about routine. Not rigid, because that ends up being stressful to you. But intentional about moving everybody slowly to a routine. So we get up at this time. Mama changes baby. Mama nurses baby. You guys play on the floor around mama. Then mama makes breakfast, we clean up, we put baby in the carrier, we go out for the walk. So maybe you work on making that part of the routine, and once that's integrated, maybe the rest of the day is just helter-skelter. But you guys get used to that walk, and then, okay, we're going we're gonna to work on this reading thing. And so you slowly build up to whatever your routine is. Again, being sensitive that sometimes your routine is going to go to the wind, but especially with toddlers, once they have a feel for the rhythm and the routine of the day, they tend to settle into it, and I think it really helps. So that's definitely a key when you're trying to juggle a newborn. Now, and I do think we're going we're gonna to do the work, working and homeschooling in a different episode, so this doesn't get too long. But when you're trying to do older kids, like middle school or high school age kids, and you've got a baby, so the ideal, I think, really for kids that age 
is that they're going to be really independent learners. And I know that that might not be the case for you. So if you are just starting to homeschool an older child, that is probably definitely not the case. Um, But if you've been homeschooling all along, and for those of you who are just starting, this might be something to work towards. So for instance, Cassidy, who's my oldest, is a fairly independent learner. Now she needs oversight because if I don't ever check in with her, she doesn't do the work. She does need that oversight, but as long as I'm checking in periodically, giving guidance, giving feedback, she's a pretty independent learner. Sometimes she has struggles. Scott does have to be more hands-on with the math. You know, she really needs to be taught that. But at this point, she's, she's really mastered English fairly well. So it's mostly focusing on her writing and um, improving her writing skill because she understands the mechanics. And as far as history and science, we do kind of teach science in a group setting, which I'll talk more about when I talk about juggling ages and stages. But, you know, she's, she's not a terrible science buff. But if I ask her to look into something in science, she can look it up. She can do um, little reports or notebooking pages or whatever for science. And then for history, we're doing a literature-based history, so she'll read a lot of that. She'll let me know what's going on. She keeps uh, a, a timeline, which is a book of centuries. And... Um, You know, so she does all that stuff relatively independently. Again, with me dipping in, making sure that she's doing well, kind of reviewing at the beginning of every week, this is what we need to do, helping benchmark her throughout the week. But her work is very much self-directed, pretty much at this point, just me helping her make sure that she stays consistent and on target. And if she's behind, giving a pep talk, drying tears, telling her sometimes that I know you don't want to do it, but you just need to do it kind of thing. And I think that's the ideal because, for instance, if we were to have another baby right now, uh, she would be, you know, she would be pretty independent with that. Now, there, I do still have to do a lot of planning, like the outer structure, how we're going to pace ourselves and everything. That's something that I still do a lot. She's, Scott's kind of letting her work with that a little bit in math, but there's still that kind of mama-imposed rigid backbone of, okay, this is where you need to be each week. She's a little bit ahead, but like pacing herself throughout the week. And she's done well because she's a little bit ahead. We let her do that. Um, But she's still not really to the point where she can pace herself effectively and be completely accountable to herself. And that's understandable. I mean, even with my midwifery studies, which some of the units are more self-directed, I I find it's harder without that teacher's accountability there. It's harder. So having somebody else to pace you can be helpful at all ages of life. But she, you know, she still needs that pacing. And that usually, but it usually takes one or two planning periods from me at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the semester, or like in history, at the beginning of a new age of history, takes one or two planning sessions for me to set out that overarching pacing for her. And then she works within that. So that's the ideal because bringing a newborn baby into that would be very simple. I would probably do pacing that I needed to do going through the books and determining the pace at which we'd go through the books or whatever. I would probably do that before the baby was born for, you know, a significant period of time after the baby was born, you know, the first 12 weeks or something at least, so that I would know that we had that taken care of. Now, again, that may not be the reality for you with your older kids. And like for my, my two older boys who are in fifth and seventh grade this year, so upper elementary and then middle school, that, you know, that, that doesn't work. I have to be much more involved. I mean, I do plan out the pacing. And again, I would do that in the prenatal period. 
but I have to be much more on top of them. They don't even, I mean, we're talking about even they don't keep their notebooks organized neatly and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, that, you know, it's like you ask them, where was this paper that I saw you working on 10 minutes ago and it's floating down the road? Because, oh, I didn't notice that the door was open and it just went out there and da-da-da-da-da. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, and I say that not to complain, but because that's reality. So for a child that is that age, where their academic work is probably much more significant, I would look into a few different things. Um, one thing I would consider is a very more formalized and already pre-planned out for you curriculum, which can work very well from a parenting point of view. Um, but maybe not as well if your child is resistant to sitting and doing that much work. Or I would look into good, strong organizational systems that help them to be successful. Um, Christy from Raising Clovers has a couple of systems that I have actually started using with my boys this year. Um, one is the her binder system. Um, and then the other is, oh, I don't remember what she calls it. Maybe her, her filing system. But anyways, it's where she's got a file for each week and like the worksheets and things are divided into those weeks. And then that's kind of combined with her binder system. Anyway, she's got a video and a post on like my, my top five homeschool organization systems or something. You can watch that and she talks about it all. But that would be a system that you could set up. I would set it up as early as you could while you were pregnant because that way you can work out the tweaks for your family because surely it's going to have some adjustments for your family. For instance, you might be um, overly zealous at first and say, okay, this is going to work for me. We're going to get so much work done in a week. And then you realize, okay, we aren't going to get that much work done in a week. And so you need to adjust. But I would do that. So I know, for instance, with my boys, that at the beginning of the week, I can take out the blue folder, which is Asher's, and the green folder, which is Brennan's. And I can help them divvy that work up into their binders. They have pocketed folders in their binder. This, again, is um, Christy's system. A Monday pocket, a Tuesday pocket. We can divvy those things up. They also have a checklist because some of the stuff is not on worksheets. Like for history and science, it's more reading or listening to mama. Science, we watch a lot of videos for science. So it may be watching a video, maybe doing notebooking pages, which I think I mentioned briefly on the other podcast. But notebooking pages are, def are, are, are more of a way for them to be creative with their work. For instance, Cassidy's really into doing notebooking pages news newspaper style right now. So like if she's reading about something in early Rome, she'll do a newspaper article on that in early Rome, pretending like she's a reporter reporting on it. So, I mean, you can do all kinds of different things. Or even my kids are welcome to do a skit or to do like an oral report kind of thing. Um, they could do a craft. You know, there is a lot a lot that they can do but we kind of go through and we plan out okay this is what we're going to cover this week this is what you need to make sure that you do and I've actually started planning with them on Sundays so we kind of do an overview on Sundays what period in history are we going to cover what are we going to talk about in science and that and what what are you going to what are we going to do in literature this week so they have we have that planned out on Sunday and then so throughout the week and again with the boys I'm much more involved with it then I need to be with Cassidy. It's like, okay, boys, have you done this? Have you done this? We sit down at the table every day. Have you done this? So again, I would start thinking about these things during pregnancy, if you're pregnant, and putting these systems into place. 
And then when your newborn comes, again, for sure, take some time off. But then you have these systems in place to help you, um, to help you help them succeed. And you're kind of able to juggle baby while you have these systems that also help you keep your older kids accountable and on task. And remember, if things get behind, that's okay. That's one of the reasons you think about this during pregnancy. If this gets behind, if we get behind on this, how are we going to compensate? For instance, I had a I had a, a week-long break planned that we ended up getting so behind with stuff with my mom that I just decided, okay, we're not going to take that particular break. There are other breaks that we're going to take, but we're just not going to take that break. Sometimes, like, my boys got behind in math, and so in order to try not to make the math burden too high, okay, you guys are going to do a little bit of math on Sunday afternoons for a couple weeks, and then we'll, you know, we'll finish this or get this caught up, and that might work for your family. When my children were young, we did a four-day school week, and then the the fifth day was a day for catch-up. Now, especially with older high school, middle school level kids, we tend to do a five-day school week because they just need that time because they have more intense assignments. Um, and that also keeps the, the, the burden lower on the other four days, though if they were to finish it all up in four days, I wouldn't have a problem with that. And then it's also nice for me with Galen as a slow reader because it gives us an extra day of phonics practice. But, you know, so that's something that's changed. But basically, those are all things to think. And again, if you've got toddlers in the mix when you're trying to school older kids, this is definitely a time when you're going to want to think about, okay, how can I keep the toddler and the younger kids occupied for a half an hour, an hour, maybe a half hour in the morning, a half hour in the afternoon, so I can sit down with my older child. And if you've got an older child that needs significant tutoring, I would definitely consider, can I arrange some childcare? for this period of time so that I can really be there for the older child. Even if you've still got the newborn or the young baby with you, it might be good. Or when dad's home in the evening, maybe dad can do the tutoring or dad can keep track of the little ones and then you guys can go in the bedroom, sit at the desk in the child's bedroom or maybe in your bedroom and really work on that. Um, And one of the things I'll talk about when we get, when we do the podcast episode, because we're going to have to do the podcast episode separately, about working and, you know, you working full-time or part-time and doing homeschooling. We'll talk some about flexible schedules, maybe non-traditional schedules, but I would encourage you to think along those lines. Of course, you're going to want to take your child and your energy levels into account, but be willing to think non-traditionally to help them be successful. And I would also, one more thing about older kids is I would not get into the trap, especially if you have to use a non-traditional schedule, of letting them just sit around and waste away much of their day on screen time. I would, this is something I've struggled with my own kids. I haven't even, you know, gotten there. We don't do, they don't have a lot of screen time, but they'll still kind of just wind their free time away. And I'm like, come on, you guys are homeschooled. You can use this time to do something creative, but think about ways. And like I said, I don't have all the answers. Think about ways you can encourage them to creativity. You can give them resources that they can be creative with. I, I personally want my kids to be entrepreneurial. So you can think about ways to facilitate facilitate and foster that during their times off certainly feel free to fill some of their time up a half an hour that you're going to play with toddler while I'm helping sister here those sorts of things involve them in the day-to-day work of the household try and help them learn to do that cheerfully but do kind of just like I said when I was talking about the younger child you want a rhythm to your day that allows them to be productively occupied that 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 creates that sense of curiosity, that love of learning, that enjoyment of life, that entrepreneurial thinking spirit. 
you want to try and be intentional with that with everybody, which is maybe, a, that's a big, you know, a big thing. But those are sort of things to think about. With that, I do think we're going to wrap up because we're about to hit an hour here. And that's, you know, that's a pretty long podcast. So um, I apologize for the length, but I do hope that it's been really thought-provoking for you and has been helpful for you. We will come back in a, in a couple weeks. We'll talk about working and schooling. And like I said, I got even more homeschooling questions. So I'll try and cover that too. Of course, we'll sprinkle in pregnancy, birth, and baby stuff here and there. Other stuff about mothering and life. But hopefully this has been helpful to you regardless of whether you're interested in homeschooling or not. Maybe some food for thought just on living with young children and even with older kids. With that, remember if you want updates about when new information's coming out, when I've got a new podcast episode out, when I've got a new post up on the blog, definitely sign up for the newsletter. The quickest way to tell you to do that is to head over to trustbirth101.com. That's trustbirth101. Also, I would really appreciate you leaving a rating in iTunes. I feel like we're kind of getting some traction in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play um, Play Store, Play Music right now. And that's just really cool because that, that gets gets the podcast in front of more people and I really appreciate that. So if you've got time, take a minute, give a rating. If you've got a minute to leave a positive comment, I really, really appreciate that. If you see any positive comments that you agree with, rate those up. Those are all really, really helpful to the podcast. Get it out to more people. Share it with your friends and family. Let me know what you think. I appreciate all feedback. Let me know what you want to hear about. And uh, with that, I hope that you have a blessed week and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.